0: Where are my people? Good morning and wow. happy Mother's Day. Good to see you all here in church this morning. If you have your bulletin. We'll look at our announcements. Verse of the week. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. Second Timothy 1.7. Jared continues his series, Body Life, in the Sunday school hour, 9.30, in the adult class baby bottle campaign begins today and runs through Father's Day. Uh, if you'll get a baby bottle, you can see them out there on the foyer table, uh, fill it with loose change and bring it back here on Father's Day. That would be appreciated. This is the fundraiser for the Pregnancy Center. No choir and no evening service today. Uh, It's our tradition to have the time with our families. And uh, you'll note there's a gift for mothers uh, as you leave the service today. So have a blessed Mother's Day. Uh, All Church Work Party. That's May 18th. Uh, Next Saturday, 9 a.m. to however long it takes. And we have some projects listed on the HELPS board. If you could help with those, uh, the more that come, the quicker that'll get done and that'll be appreciated. Those working on family conference uh, need to report your progress to the pastor. You'll see our note on the deficit there, number seven, and the new acts and facts for May are here on the foyer table. All right, anything else? Very good, then. I'll direct you to the scripture for meditation this morning, and that is 2 Kings, chapter 11, page 589. You'll stand with me we'll open our service in prayer our Lord we are thankful for our uh, time here together thank you Lord that you have uh, provided us this place uh, our building we are uh, thankful that we can come and uh, worship you uh, in comfort and in security we ask Lord that uh, you would meet with us today uh, bless us Lord we uh, make the uh, spirit uh, active amongst us in our hearts, uh, that we, meet, we might praise you uh, through song, that we might worship you, that we might uh, read the scriptures, that we might uh, be blessed from the sermon uh, that you've laid on the heart of our pastor. Bless him as he brings it forth. Uh, thank you for all the preparations that have uh, gone uh, in beforehand this week, uh, that we might uh, again gather Uh, together as your people and worship you bless those that are away from us Lord uh, some ill some I'm sure traveling today uh, Bless the mothers uh, of uh, of us all Uh, thank you Lord that uh, many of us uh, have had godly mothers and we ask Lord uh, that uh, you would uh, bless them today this uh, day set aside to uh, remember them thank you again uh, for who and what you are help us Uh, to focus, Lord, today on uh, the scriptures and not about uh, the week past or the week to come, but uh, on you and, and your word. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing for our singing.
1: Please take your brown hymnal this morning, number 50. Five zero in the brown. is our congregational hymn. Uh, is there some... Wait, wait, I think I promised... Was it Sheila? I did promise you last week. Um,
2: 259 in the brown
1: In the brown. In the Browns, what is I the I love the songs about the Holy Spirit because I, I, it makes me realize that um, only through the presence of the Spirit can we truly worship Christ in our church and congregation over here. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. 259. Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me, breath.
0: is taken from 2nd Timothy the first chapter and we'll be reading verses 1 through 12 that's 1852 in the pew Bible and when you found your place in 2nd Timothy stand with me and Rick is going to come and read the scriptures.
3: Second Timothy one one through twelve, the Word of God for the people of God, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, has night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but but because of his own purpose, and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and convinced that he is able to guard and I have entrusted that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day.
1: join the choir in standing. This time take your red hymnal 559 in the red 559 five,
4: text this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1. As we come to the text, I'm wondering if anyone would like to say a word about their mother, whether she's deceased or still alive, some blessing in your life that particularly you would attribute to your mom. And "Talked about, are you contented to do some little thing, some little thing, knowing that it'll bring glory to God?" Someone else. Yeah, Dan.
2: I just think of the the, the legacy that um, mothers can have. Um, I think of my mom. Her whole family. Um, her her parents basically sent them to Sunday school class. Would drop them off and pick them up, but never actually went to church. Um, we're not, we're not believers. God used that to save her um, and create, then you know, a, a godly legacy that uh, carries on. When you look at families, you can take one, one person, one <coughs> one woman out of uh, an unbelieving family and change the, the generations upon generations after that.
4: Amen. Uh, we're going to see someone in our study this morning. Dale.
5: Um, yeah, I'm thankful for a godly mother too. And when I was young, and she uh, she made us go to Sunday school and all, although I was a rebel and I didn't um, appreciate it. And um, but I am thankful because that was one of the Lord's first stepping stones in my life towards um, the salvation that Christ mm-hmm. brought to me even though, you know, I was uh, a rebel and a drunk and a liar and everything else. And yes. the Lord hopefully turned you around. I'm not that
4: anymore. Amen. Amen. Someone else? Yeah. I love my mom. She's <laughs> racked <rock> <laughs> She's helped me through a lot. And
2: I've helped
4: her through a lot. <laughs> kind of give and take then, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, good. And someone else, anyone? Yeah, that's for uh
5: reminder who appreciation for um that's I am thankful for both my mother
2: and Rick's mother. Um when I met Rick's mom, she was very loving and nurturing in my new faith um, as a believer. And just constant scripture verses, cards, constantly um, prayed for us, constantly would call me and pray on the phone and never stop. And I'm thankful for my mother because she's a new believer and she's attended our Bible study faithfully. Every every class we've had and she's learning and she talks about the things of the Lord and um, she's so young in her faith, but she's saved, and she's one of eight children um, in her family, mm. the, and the only one that believes, and so I'm very
5: thankful for that. Amen. Yeah.
4: Anyone else? George.
5: Yeah, I would be uh, very missed if I did not mention the fact that uh, not only my mother, but my grandmother, uh, who prayed for my mom, uh, she grew up in a pretty rough circumstance, uh, my mother that is, uh, simply because of her rebellion. <laughs> and uh, she went to church quite a bit when she was younger, but when she got into her teens, she started to stray, and even though she was gifted and talented in many ways, it was all spent uh, you know, on herself and, and uh, the wickedness of the world. And uh, I would say before she was, and uh, I often wondered, you know, what God had uh, accomplished because in in our particular situation, in our families, the clouds, uh, I was the only Christian that I knew of. We had lots of drunks, we had a few homosexuals, we had a pedophile, we had a lot of things in our family that I can't even mention, those were the good ones. And uh, the reality of it is, is that God reached And took me out of that by His grace. And uh, when Mom did become a Christian, I wondered sometimes if God had actually saved her. But as the years went by, I could see good growth and maturity, and her and Jack uh, uh, became uh, husband and wife, and uh, I can honestly say that from that time forward, uh, Mom lived a different kind of life wasn't that she was perfect as a mother or as a woman or as a wife, but she really did love God, and she still does. Mm. And uh, when you go to visit mom, one of the things that you see is that it doesn't matter what it is, if you bring up a subject about the Lord, she has a good, sweet spirit about her. And uh, I just thank God for that. Amen. Only God can give that kind of change to the soul.
2: Mm Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Terry? I
5: don't want to forget godly grandmothers and
2: godly aunts. Um, even though even though they live far away in different states, they make
4: a big impact on your life. Mm-hmm. That's right. Jared?
1: I'm thankful for my mom's prayer life. Uh, even when we were kids, uh, she was praying not only for myself and my sisters, mm-hmm. but also for the people that we would marry. She was praying for our spouses. And uh, she, no, of course. Unnamed. unnamed <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But God knew. And I'm thankful that not only did he answer her prayers, but she continues to pray. I know that when we're going through things that are difficult, uh, that helplessness comes in, the desire to fix uh, comes in. And all she can do is pray. But I know that she does that. Amen.
4: Ciao.
5: Sorry. My mother
0: is and has always been adept at pointing us to our spiritual need and um, as a child showing us the area of sin, not so much that, oh, you know, you need to get along with your brother or your sister, but to show us that it was a heart condition that needed to be changed. And I
5: remember her directing us to the Proverbs and sitting in separate corners of the room and
0: reading through what god hates the seven six things that god hates and seven that he despises, and learning and memorizing those things because she was trying to point us to the heart condition that needed to be fixed our own heart condition
4: amen good anyone else my mother's dead and gone but she was a great influence in our lives and my grandmother on her side only about four foot five, four foot six, little spitfire. <coughs> I can remember singing in our church because she had this very piercing voice. Now, the whole church could hear her singing, He's the lily of the val. You know, it was kind of that really pungent uh, voice that she had. And everyone would kind of perk up as Nellie over here on our pew side uh, would sing. And then... Um, what was neat about how we were raised mostly is that we were raised in a duplex, with grandmother living on one side and we and our family living on the other. So we had a lot of interconnection that was really cool. And of course, the emphasis was on the scriptures and going to church and learning the things of God. and Tremendous, tremendous footing, background, foundation for uh, coming to know Christ, and then living for Him. Good examples there. Anyone else? Real quick. Alright, I'll direct your attention then to Second Timothy chapter 1. And as we come to our study, let's ask the Lord to be with us. Gracious Father, send your Spirit upon us that we may know the truth of your Word. Even as we want to define mothers this morning... Uh, we look to the scriptures to tell us what a mother should be and what they can be and, and uh, warn us what, what they shouldn't be and uh, what comes to, to wicked mothers. And so, Lord, uh, we look for your direction and we thank you for each mother here this morning and pray your blessing upon them. Bless our families and bless now the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. For our Mother's Day celebration, I thought we would look at two different mothers in the Bible who are about as opposite as day and night or north from south. These two mothers had totally different ways of mothering. One was godly in her approach to child rearing. The other was very wicked. The two women could stand as examples of what we find today in our own society. Human nature doesn't change that much. They certainly represent the two extremes that are found in our culture. Others might fall somewhere in between. So firstly, we want to look at Timothy's mother. Timothy is one of these New Testament Bible characters of whom we know quite a bit. Now some of the Bible characters are obscure, they're mentioned once or so, something like that. But Timothy, wow, he's mentioned all throughout the New Testament. Two books in the Bible bear his name, though they were written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. These books fall into what is called in the New Testament the pastoral epistles because they deal in content with such things as the appointment of elders, Deacons, order and worship service, how to carry on the ministry, etc. Things having to do with the service of God. That's why they're called the pastoral epistles. Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey in the little town of Lystra, L-Y-S-T-R-A, according to Acts 16, verse 1 and following, which reads, He came to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Even here at this first mention of Timothy in the Bible, we have references to his mother, And the reference is insightful. Luke writes that she was a Jewess and a believer. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that Timothy's mother was a Jew by nationality. And as such, she was reared in the Jewish faith. But somewhere, sometime, she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord opened her eyes to Jesus as the Messiah, her Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. This is why Luke words it in the way that he does. She was a Jewess and a believer. The reference to her being a believer cannot be referring to the Jewish faith. Why not? because she is found among the Christian brothers at Lystra, and her own son is called a disciple. Jews had nothing to do with Christians, except, as in the former days of Paul, when he was known as Saul, to persecute them. Yeah, but we don't see that with her. She's part of this assembly That's in Lystra. Luke further makes the contrast between Timothy's mother and his father, saying she was a believer, but, his words are not mine, but whose father was a Greek. Greek in the sense of not being Jewish, yes, but also Greek in the sense of not being a believer, Therefore, Greek in the sense of being a pagan idolater. Because that's what the Greeks were. <laughs> they worshipped many gods. They had a pantheon of deities that they worshipped. You remember Paul on Mars Hill addressing the Athenians about their many gods and the idols they had in this city. Each idol to a particular god. That was Greek worship. So, already by this time in history, we are witnessing the breakdown of Jewish fundamentalism, which forbade intermarriage between Jews and non Jews. Or at least we are witnessing the fact that Eunice, Timothy's mother, had broken from the tradition. She could have been a runaway. Lystra was in the province of Galatia and to the northwest of Palestine, which is present-day Turkey. She could have just been a rebellious teen. We've heard a little bit of that this morning in our testimonies. Forsaking the religious upbringing of her community, we don't know. But somehow she got up to Lystra and by that time she is a believer. Somehow she married this Greek. Again, we don't have all the history. And they had this only child, Timothy. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, became a believer. And then Eunice, the mother. Then finally Timothy himself, in that order, according to our text, look at verse 4 and 5. The grandmother was the first to believe, and then Eunice, and then Timothy. So, in Eunice, we have a good example of a woman who was religious. She was a Jew, but still lost and who came to know God through Jesus Christ, probably by the witness of her own mother. And then Timothy was raised in this divided home, his mother being a believer, his father being an unbeliever. What went on in this mixed home, and how did Timothy come to know Jesus' Savior? Well, fortunately, we do not have to guess. Our text tells us that Timothy had a mother and a grandmother that were believers with a, verse 5, sincere faith. This is who these women were. They had a sincere, we would say, a genuine faith. What do believers do when they are living in a situation which restricts the free exercise of their faith? Timothy's father, as noted, was a Greek. He is probably responsible for Timothy not being circumcised as a child when Eunice, a Jewess, would have requested that. You can read in Acts 16 verse 3. You can be sure that other restrictions were binding upon Eunice, who, when becoming a Christian, was now living with a desire to obey Christ as a Christian wife in submission to her husband. But what Eunice never did... What she could never have done was to disobey Christ in order to obey her husband. There's one Lord over all of his people and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when it came to rearing Timothy in this mixed home, Eunice took the course of rearing him as a Christian mother. We know that she did this because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, we read Paul's exhortation to Timothy and here's what he says. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now when Paul tells Timothy, you know those whom you, from whom you learned it, the, uh, the, that is the teaching he's received, he is undoubtedly referring to his own teaching of Timothy as he acted as mentor to this young man on the missionary journeys. Paul took Timothy under his wing, so to speak, and became the Christian father that he never had. But when Paul says that from infancy Timothy has known the Holy Scriptures, this cannot be a reference to himself as the teacher. It can only refer to his mother Eunice and perhaps his grandmother Lois who wielded their influence as Christian women, as grandmother and mother, to see to it that Timothy learned the Bible despite any protest that may have come from Timothy's Greek father. This instruction in the Bible, Paul attributes to Timothy's salvation. Eunice's faithfulness in teaching the scriptures as a Christian mother led to her son's conversion. There's no out about it. And I want to tell you that there is no joy like the joy of being instrumental as a parent in leading your own child to Christ. But this did not happen magically. Timothy had an unbelieving father whose pagan viewpoints certainly held a lot of weight in his home. But Eunice honored the Lord when it came to giving Timothy the Christian teaching essential to saving faith. This is one area where she would not compromise. Circumcision, yes. Circumcision of the flesh avails for nothing, but circumcision of the heart, writes Paul, is what makes a person a Jew in the spiritual sense of being one of God's people, You can read it for yourself, Romans 2, verse 29. So she can concede on the physical ordinance, but she's going to give Timothy the spiritual knife of the sword of the Word of God to cut away the flesh of his heart and grant him circumcision of heart to believe and trust in Christ. And When it came to the testimony and the teaching of the scriptures, And seeing to it that Timothy was reared in the Christian faith, Eunice did not waver in terms of complying. And so the point comes across that we must obey God rather than man, even if the man is our husband or even if the person is our wife, our unbelieving wife. I could put it this way. The woman was fighting for the soul of her son. And many a mother has had to do that. The world was right in her house, but she could not cave in to that pressure. She is therefore to be commended along with all of those mothers who have lived in mixed homes and have not had the cooperation of a Christian spouse to rear the children in the things of God, but who have nonetheless done an admirable job of seeing to it that their children were exposed repeatedly to the gospel. Now there's no guarantee, there is no guarantee that such children will be saved, but we know that no one is saved apart from the gospel of the scriptures, and that the Spirit of God uses the sword of the Word of God to bring about life-changing transformation through faith. So exposure, exposure, exposure to the Word of God, to the preached Word of God in particular, brings about the great fruit that we desire in our children, that they come to know the Jesus we know and love. Okay, then secondly, what was the result of Eunice's godly influence on Timothy? Well, firstly, he was saved, right? He was saved from his sin and he became a believer like his mother. When Paul arrived on the scene in Lystra, sometime between the first and second missionary journey, Timothy had come to know Christ and had already established himself among the brethren as a reputable disciple of Christ. And he so impressed Paul that the Apostle decided, I'm taking him along on the rest of this missionary journey travels. I'm taking him with him. I want him with me. But there's more, much more. As Timothy became more grounded in the things of God and honed his skills as a teacher of the Bible, Paul began to utilize him in evangelistic ministries on his own. That is, he would leave him or he would send him to cities as Paul's co-worker in the gospel. Let me read it for you. First Timothy 1, verse 3. First Timothy now. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogy. So Paul moves on and he leaves Timothy there. And he can leave Timothy there knowing that he will teach against the false doctrines that certain people were spreading in that community. When Paul was faced with many problems of the Corinthian church, guess who he sent to straighten things out? Let me read it for you. I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love. Now he's talking about his son in the faith. This is his spiritual son. I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10, similar phraseology. So Paul couldn't get there, so he says, I'm going to send the next best. I'm sending my son in the faith. To the church at Philippi, and this is very revealing, Paul wrote... I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Timothy's going to come gather news, information, report back to Paul. Now listen to this statement. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests Not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Philippians 2, verse 19 and following. I would love to have a resume like that from the Apostle Paul, wouldn't you? I have no one else like him. Everyone else is out for himself, but not Timothy. He's out for you. He's out for your welfare. He's out for Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel. He'll do you good. And There were times when Paul, because of imprisonment or other hindrances, could not readily get to all the churches which needed help. Remember, these apostles were like missionaries. Boom, boom, boom. They're moving around to all the churches. But Timothy could be trusted to get the job done. He was fully capable, being well taught, quite gifted, in teaching others. Wow. I'm getting excited about this young guy. Timothy also also co authored a number of the New Testament epistles along with Paul. Though we don't we do not often concentrate on co authors. We say Paul wrote this or whatever and so forth. Well, let, let me say First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, Philemon. They all have Timothy's nomenclature right there alongside of Paul's. What part of that epistle or those epistles he wrote, I don't know. But he was part of it. And it was Timothy whom Paul requested be with him in his dying hours. We find this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 and following. If you're going to die and you want somebody there to minister to you spiritually, who are you going to call? Now, think of the Apostle Paul and who, who could he call? He could call on Peter. He could call on John. He could call on any of the other apostles. Listen to what he says. He's writing Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 6 and following. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Do your best to come to me quickly. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Troas and my scrolls. The scriptures, especially the parchments. What an honor. What confidence Paul must have had in Timothy to want him by his side when the death sentence was pronounced. Maybe you don't know, but in AD 68, Paul was executed by Emperor Nero, by the sword, by beheading for his faith. And Timothy was there. And may I say that Timothy's mother was largely responsible for the way he turned out. Now, humanly speaking, we know that no parent, no parent, can grant a child saving faith. But what a parent can do, Eunice did. She placed Timothy, can I say it this way, in the way of grace. Use an old Puritan Phraseology. In the way of grace. She got him up on Sunday morning. She brought him to church with her. If her husband protested, she brought him anyway. If he protested as an unbelieving child, he got brought anyway. Sounds like my dad. She had devotional studies with him. She taught him the scriptures. She prayed with him. She pointed him to God as the solution to his problems and his sin. And his sin. She taught him submission to parental authority and ultimately to God, which played a large role in Timothy's ability to follow the leading and the instruction of the Apostle Paul. When he came to know Christ, he had already learned uh, submission to mom, submission to the uh, brethren, and she taught him those things. Now observe a couple lessons here before we move on to Miss Wicket. Lesson number one, for parents in mixed homes where you are the believer and your spouse is not, if children are involved, though, uh, though you would love to worship God as a family, if your spouse refuses to come, you must bring the children and come on your own. That's the first lesson we need to take to heart. I don't think Mr. Greek Father attended any services with Eunice and Timothy. I mean. He, you don't hear of him. Except here. This is the only. Look, look at all the texts. We've already read about Timothy. We ever hear about his father. We read different places about Eunice. And, and so forth. Do we ever read about him from this point on? No. So the gospel was not something he had any time for. That she plugged on. May I say it this way, it has always been the struggle of the Christian conscience to balance what the Bible says about submission of the wife to her husband, the submission of an employee to an employer, the submission of a Christian citizen to their government officials. It has always been a struggle of the Christian conscience what to do with what the Bible also commands us to do in obedience to God. And you are not unique in this. We are not unique in this. If we lived in a world that did not encroach upon our Christian convictions, there would be no tension. There would be no conflict. But that's not the case. People, including spouses, bosses, politicians, make demands of us at times which conflict with our Christian duties to God. What I appreciate about Michael Hagen the other day when we went up to the conference, he brought up the word D-U-T-Y. Duty. We have a certain duty to our God as we obey Him, as we live for Him. What will you do? What will your response be? In these situations where there's an obvious difference between what the person in authority who you appreciate who you otherwise would reverence and serve when that person in authority is asking or demanding something of you which is the direct opposite of what God commands us to do. It's easy to give in. Very easy. No one wants to make ways because this makes life miserable for those who do it. A spouse may become abusive, an employer may limit your advancement at work, the government may threaten you with punishment or jail time. Just this week, just this week, it came out in the news that the IRS particularly targeted Christian people who listed themselves as Tea Party members or as patriots. So what did the IRS do before the last election? They did audits on those Christians and made their lives miserable. Would have probably left them alone. Probably no red flags any other way. But because they saw that. Now that's the government saying, you're going to vote my way, you're going to do things my way, or we're going to make it tough on you. Oh, I don't know if you know this, but the IRS has slated to hire 16,000 new workers because they are going to be the administrators of Obamacare. Do You really want your health care administered by IRS officials? What do you do when the local authority, the human authority says you will do this or else? But God says, do something else. Well, I, may I suggest that Peter and John faced this before the Sanhedrin, that same Jewish council which had orchestrated the kangaroo trial and subsequent unjust execution of Jesus. But when these apostles were commanded not to teach any more in that name of Jesus, we don't want to hear any, of, any more of that, they responded saying, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than Well, throw it on your conscience, Sanhedrin. You judge for yourself. Should we obey your rule or God's rule? You go on. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Acts 4, 19 and 20. Peter said they were eyewitnesses of the things that Christ did. They were taught by Christ directly. Well... Acts 4, they took a beating. They were flogged for holding to this position and then they were imprisoned often thereafter. Now because Peter knew himself personally what it meant to suffer for Christ because of one's faith, God qualified him as the person, the apostle, who could write to suffering Christians and tell them, Dear friends, don't be surprised At the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 and following. We don't often think that way. Christian parents cannot abdicate to an unbelieving spouse in the religious education of their children. And what is more, you cannot... Cave into a rebellious teenager who doesn't have an interest in spiritual things. We all know that the day is coming when our children will become young adults and they'll determine what they will or will not do in obedience to the house rules. But while they live in your house as children or as young adults, they are yours to command and you must obey Christ rather than men. That's a tremendous lesson. I can remember parents saying to some of the teenagers in the church when I was growing up, okay, you want to go, go. But if you're living in my house, here's the house rules. Love for God must take precedence over love of spouse or love of children. God blesses those who love Him first and love Him best. Sometimes we have our priorities all mixed up. Like the world, we place... Many things ahead of God, our own selfish desires, our own comfort, our own convenience, our own wills, and then we have the audacity to expect God to answer our prayers and bless our homes as though we were entitled to His blessing just because we say we believe in Him. Eunice was a believer, but she was involved in the up- upbringing of her child. And the proof of belief is what? It is obedience. You'll reap what you sow. Eunice took up the reins of Timothy's education. She did not pass them on to another until the Apostle Paul came along and adopted Timothy as his spiritual son. Yeah, she was glad to finally have the godly father figure in Timothy's life. and By that time, he's a young man and he's already proved himself to be a believer. That's a tremendous lesson. That we need to learn from Eunice. Second lesson here is that foundations are essential. Foundations are essential to the superstructure. We all say something like this as parents. I hope my kids turn out right. Turn out right. Now we have a definition of what we mean by right. We want them to be good citizens and profitable Fathers that take care of their families and good husbands or wives, as the case may be. And, but along with that, we want them to know God and be rightly reconciled to Him. Well, how does that happen? Superstructures depend on substructures or foundations. We all know the importance of foundations when it comes to construction on the way to toledo for years as we were going down there to the toledo conference or if we were going to pennsylvania we would go down 75 and then we would cut on the bypass around toledo which was i280 but you know there was a bad spot in that uh, little bypass and it was a drawbridge that went over the river pinny little bridge All the traffic kind of narrowed into it. No one, we were always in a bottleneck. And heaven help you if the bridge was up someday. So a little tugboat or whatever could be pulled through there. So they decided we're going to get rid of the little bridge and we are going to put us in a bridge. And so the construction began. And the construction crew went to work on a bridge across that river. And it was tedious task for months and months. It didn't look like much was getting done. I know we would go down that way and say, are they doing anything? Look at that pile of dirt. Doesn't seem to have, doesn't seem to have moved a bit. Then they brought in a huge crane with a pile driver. And all day long, week in, week out, the relentless pounding of the driver would be heard as they drove huge steel girders through the riverbed vertically. Then huge forms, then tons of stone, then yards and yards of poured concrete. Then in time the superstructure began to emerge. More forms, more steel, more concrete. When one realizes that this bridge was going to support ultimately multiple lanes of traffic, the dedication to the foundation is appreciated. Now the bridge is finished crane's gone. The pile driver's gone. The cement trucks are no longer lined up in a parade to pour concrete. You can't see the foundation from the bridge. It's high bridge. Goes, no more drawbridge. It just goes right up over the river. reminds me of some of the bridges down in Florida when they go across the bay up around the Tampa area. You can't see the foundation, but it's there. And with the bridge open, literally, literally, tons, tons of weight are atop that bridge road many hours of the day. And it holds the weight. It withstands the tremendous stress because of the months, yes, years, the crew dedicated to building the foundation strong. Eunice never outlived Timothy. Mothers and dads usually die before their children. Maybe she did not see half of what Timothy accomplished for the Lord. But the superstructure Timothy built for Christ in his service was built upon his godly mother's foundation. Painstakingly laid month after month in her case, year after year, as she reared Timothy in the things of God. And in time no one could see her handiwork but it was there. And Without the foundation Eunice laid Paul would have had nothing upon which to build. Godly mothers like John the Baptist in his ministry are going to fade into the background that Christ might increase But the achievements of their children in the things of God are largely due to their primal efforts of establishing godly patterns in early youth. How important it is then that we as parents lay down godly and biblical foundations for our children and when they're old, they will be building on what they learned at mother and dad's knee. Extremely important. Okay, godly Eunice, mother. Godly Lois, grandmother. Now we turn the page and we come to a second mother. Her name is Athaliah and she is just the opposite of Eunice. Athaliah was married to King Jehoram of Judah when he died, her son Ahaziah, you get, it's a little hard keeping these Azuz, Aziz, Azuzahs names uh, straight, but here we go. Athaliah was married to King Joram of Judah, and when he died, her son Ahaziah reigned. And the Bible says he was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year. One year? What's going on? Now listen to this. He too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab for his mother, Athaliah, encouraged him in doing wrong. Oh. You know, Ahab was the most wicked king of Israel's history. He was the northern kingdom, but he was still an example of wickedness. And it says, he too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. He's in the kingdom of the south, but he's living like this king of the north that was so wicked. How so? His mother encouraged him in doing wrong. Reading on. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after his father's death, they became his advisors to his undoing. Okay. So the wicked advisors of King Ahab in the north and now a wicked mother, they do this, they join hands and they teach Ahaziah how to be wicked. Ahaziah was a buddy of Ahab's son Joram who, like his father Ahab, was no good. That meant Ahaziah hung around with the wrong crowd of people. Jehu, a commander under Ahab and Joram, had been anointed way back in First Kings 19 by Elijah as the successor to Ahab, who would, whose job was, To destroy Ahab's entire household. So God was closing in on Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. And he said to Elijah, I want you to anoint this commander, Jehu. And he's going to go in there and he's going to wipe out Ahab's entire family. Now Ahaziah is not part of Ahab's family, but he's hanging out with Ahab's son, Joram. So, Ahaziah gets caught in the conspiracy. He just, listen to that, he just happened to be mm -hmm, visiting Ahab's son at the time Jehu was wiping out The entire line of Ahab and Jezebel. And so he and his family members were killed along with Joram son of Ahab. 2 Chronicles 22 verse 7 and following. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he was wicked. Because Athaliah his mother was imbibing all the philosophy of Ahab and Jezebel. And teaching it to her son though he was in a different kingdom. Well, by the way, this is from 2 Chronicles 22. We read from First, what well, was 2 Kings 11 this morning. This is the other account. It gives more detail. So, he's killed. Now, when Athaliah heard that her son was killed, I'm reading again from 2 Chronicles 22. Verse 10 says, She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. What? What's going on here? Jehu's wiping out Ahab's wicked house and Jezebel, their wicked house in the northern kingdom. She hears that her son, who happened to be visiting that day, also got killed. So what does she do? She decides she's going to murder all the descendants down in Judah where she's ruling. Well, she's not ruling yet, but that's why she's doing this. She decided to kill her own grandchildren. Any one of which would be the rightful heir to her son Ahaziah's throne. And in their place, she put herself in as queen. Verse 12, 2 Chronicles 22. That's what she was up to. She rightly figured out, hey, as long as my grandchildren are alive, I don't get the the throne. Hey, Isaiah's been killed up there in the northern kingdom, but I got all these grandchildren. I'll wipe them out, and I will become queen. Thus, Athaliah was just as bloody as her contemporary Jezebel had been to her north. She had intended to wipe out all rivals to the throne, even if a meant slaughtering her own grandchildren. Her plan would have worked. It would have worked, except that Jehosheba, sister of Ahaziah, the one that was killed, the son that was killed, he had a sister named Jehoshaphat. She got wind of Athaliah's plan to murder all the royal princes, and so she took Joash, one of those princes, Ahaziah's son and his wet nurse and hid them in the temple for six years. And she was able to do this because she was married to Jehoiada the priest. She used the protection that would normally be afforded the priest in his house She used that, she snatches Joash away from imminent murder and said, you're going to come and live with me in the temple quarters. That's what she did. After six years, Jehoiada revealed Joash as the true heir to the throne and Athaliah was executed for treason. The Bible says the city was quiet because Athaliah had been slain. Joas was seven years old when he began to reign. 2 Kings 11, verse 20 and 21. What a contrast between Athaliah as a mother and a grandmother to Eunice and Lois who influenced Timothy's life. Athaliah, instead of teaching her son Ahaziah, the scriptures taught him how to do evil. She encouraged him in doing wrong. 2 Chronicles 22 verse 3. That's Jezebel all over again, if ever that was. No wonder the next verse says, She did evil in the eyes of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. If you want to know some of the evil she did, she set up Baal worship, 2 Chronicles 23 verse 17, led the people away from God and so on. So instead of being a godly mentor to her grandchildren, she had them all murdered so that she could assume the throne for herself in the place of her deceased son. Joash escaped this butchery through the love of Aunt Jehosheba. Great story. Now, what kind of a king was Joash? He had a wicked grandmother. Who had taught his father how to do evil. Who had attempted to take his own life. And one might have thought that Joash would be just as expert in intrigue and manipulation and murder as Athaliah. The kid had, you know, he had ten strikes against him. But the testimony of God is this. Joash did what was right in the sight. Of the Lord. Second Chronicles 24, verse 2. His greatest achievement, you may know, was the restoration of the temple to its centrality as Israel's worship center. And in doing so, he destroyed the Baal, the, the sites where the Baal worship were, the Asherah poles were, and then he re- reorganized the priesthood under his uncle in law, Jehoiada, to obey the law. In later years, now he did turn away from the Lord, as, but Solomon did the same thing. But for most of his years, from a boy, age seven. Now, he had advisors, of course, but the point was he listened to them and he was a godly king. He came out of a horrible, horrible environment. Now, I think about that. The world says the kids are bad and turn out bad and and to be wife beaters and child molesters and rapists and all of those things because they had a poor environment. And you know, it's just the way it is. But the Bible comes along, God comes along and says, Wait a minute, I can take a bad environment and I can take kids, put in a bad environment and bring good out of it. So here's the lessons for on Athaliah. Athaliah is the personification of all those mothers in our day who are not good mothers at all but who use their superior size, their knowledge, and their skill to do evil to their helpless children. Gone in our day is the notion that because a woman gives birth to a baby, she automatically feels maternal love towards her child. Our newspapers are full of accounts of mothers who have abandoned their children on park benches or thrown them into dumpsters exposed to the elements to die or who have attempted more sinister ways of killing their children. One would have thought that Athaliah's love for her son would have been reason enough for her to preserve his posterity, her own grandchildren. But she was ambitious In the evil sense, she wanted the throne for herself. She became the only queen to rule in her own right over Judah. And no one missed her when she was gone. The scripture says the kingdom became peaceful and quiet. Athaliah gone? Oh, thank you, God. She's gone. And so Athaliah is a warning to us that motherhood is not automatic, it has to be taught. You who have young daughters who will one day become mothers have the responsibility to teach that love and to teach those kind of parenting skills which make for godly mothers. Mothering is not inbred. And as parents and grandparents and mothers and fathers-in-law, we need to watch for and guard against abusive parenting from abortion to infanticide young parents all across our land are following the footsteps of Athaliah they are they haven't had the parenting that con uh, opposes that second lesson athaliah teaches us a second lesson and it is this despite her wicked intent despite the execution of her evil designs upon her son in teaching him to do evil, and upon her grandchildren in murdering them all, it's possible, it is possible for the grace of God to break through and touch a life as God did with Josiah, Joash, excuse me, Joash. Maybe you're here this morning and you are lamenting the fact. That you never had a Christian mother. You never had a Christian father. You never had a Christian home. And I say, you're lamenting that fact, and you grieve over that. You regret that you were not raised in a Christian home. Well, I have something to say to you. You're here, aren't you? Have you thought through this? You're here! Alive in Christ. Part of the brotherhood of believers. Even though you did not have the benefit of a Eunice or a Lois, as did Timothy, God found you. And He saved you. And He placed you. And He distributed to you a heart of love. His heart of love for you. And adopted you into His family. You can't keep going back folks. I know some of you have horrendous pasts. You do. I didn't. I had Godly parents, Christian home. I don't have the horrendous past. I can't identify with that, but I can tell you this. You're not there anymore. And this is where you need to concentrate. What God has done for you and continues to do and now it's your opportunity as you raise your children and grandchildren to be for them what you never had. It is a tremendous privilege to be reared in a Christian home. I'm not discounting that. But in the final analysis, love for God is not conveyed through the genes. No one inherits eternal life because of a biological link to a Christian ancestor. Athaliah was a bloody woman. And an evil woman. Maybe the mom you had was not a murderer, but she may have been very worldly and very wicked. Still, God broke through all of that cultural baggage, that pain, that heartache, that cruelty. And the Son of Righteousness rose in your heart and He gave you light and love. And you came to know. You need to rejoice in that, and you need to be thankful for that, and you need to take where you are now and to see what God will how He will use you to bring about the blessing that you long for when you were a child. Now this should encourage you as parents while we strive to be a Lois or a Eunice at those times when we have failed and we do fail as parents when we have fallen somewhere in the middle between Athaliah and Eunice, when those times happen, let me say that God has the final say. He has the final say. This is the power of our God to bring good out of evil for all those who are destined to be His people by His calling. I thank God today for a godly mother and a dad. They weren't perfect. Their example was not without its flaws. But they didn't teach me to do evil. They didn't abuse me for their own selfish ambition. And I'm thankful for all the mothers who are daughters of Eunice and Lawless. And you're sitting. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for the example of Eunice and Lois. Thank You for Paul, He's willing to become the adoptive father. Take Timothy under his wings and teach him the things of the gospel that his own pagan father would not do, could not do. And my, what a blessing Timothy became to the church community. Here we are. Here we are, thousands of years later, reading Paul's letter to his spiritual son and profiting from it. Bless each parent here today. Bless each mother in particular as we celebrate Mother's Day. Bless our families because today we're going to take home a baby bottle, an empty baby bottle. And we are going to be thinking... Of the parent of the pregnancy center, which works so hard to save life and stop abortions. And we're going to put money in that bottle and bring it back on Dad's Day, thereby symbolizing that both mothers and fathers have a role in fighting for life, fighting for our children. Bless us, then, we pray. We're not perfect in our parenthood. We do wrong things. We make mistakes. We are sometimes abusive with our mouths. We are sometimes cruel with our discipline. But Lord, see us past all of that. Bring into our lives people like Timothy for the glory of your kingdom. This is how you spread your kingdom. Christian families living out Christian principles. Raising more Christians, become more evangelists, more fathers, more mothers, husbands, wives with a Christian philosophy of life. Thank you for each one here today. For those that don't know Jesus, may this be the day that you find them and bring them into your family, Lord, by your adoption, for your glory, for their good. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity 719 in the red hymnal. Jared will come and lead us. Let's stand together as we sing. Oh, give us home built firm upon the Savior, where Christ is head and counselor and guide, where every child is taught His love and favor give us his heart to Christ the crucified how sweet to know that though his footsteps waver his faithful lord is walking by his side number 719 in trinity
1: oh give us
4: day. And don't forget, as we leave today, we have a little treat for you. I don't know what that treat is. What is that thing? It's an ice cream scoop or a melon ball scooper or whatever you want to use it for. Clean out the weirwax wax in your ears or whatever. <laughs> have a grand time today. Lord bless you.